You're listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. That's 800-488-1888. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, I'm your host, Carl Truman. Uh, pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania, and I also teach church history at Westminster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian from West Virginia, who's looking very fetching today in a a denim jumper with an apple uh, (laughs) sewn onto the shoulder, and uh, Todd Pruitt, the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, uh, Virginia, and a recovering Southern Baptist, I believe, Todd. Indeed. Is that correct? Indeed, yes. Uh, have you recovered, or are you feeling I, the pull I, back? I'm fairly uh, recovered, I think, um, although I still, you know, in, in contrast to your uh, uh, Presbyterianism, Carl, I still hold to uh, the fact that we shouldn't throw our women into combat and such uh, arcane um, ideas, but I'm not quite as enlightened as you. But there you are. That's our theonomic thought for the day. Uh, <laughs> I'm all about Rush Dooney. Uh, indeed. Oh, indeed. Good bit of Holocaust denial. There. Absolutely. So, Never heard anybody. We can expect the uh, switchboard to be jammed with uh, <laughs> yes. scary people from the Midwest right. phoning in to complain about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy, we have a special guest with us today. I wonder if you would like to introduce her. I'm very excited about our guest today. She is a counselor and ministry assistant at Christ Presbyterian Church. She's a pastor's wife, a mother of six, and the author of Extravagant Grace, God's Glory Displayed in Our Weaknesses. Um, Today we're going to talk to Barbara Duguid. How are you, Barbara? Doing well. Thank you, Amy. Good to talk to you. Yeah, and so your book kind of points the reader to the writings of John Newton to help us understand God's purposes, even in our failures, right? Will you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. I first discovered John Newton when I asked a friend of mine, pastor and professor, why it is that the sins that I worked the hardest to get rid of were the ones I struggled with the most. And he pointed me toward John Newton to help me understand sanctification better and to understand my role in it and to understand God's grace, uh, not just to us in salvation, but in sanctification as well. You tell us that, um, you know, if God really is all powerful, then we have to admit that he could have made our struggle with sin a lot easier in our after our conversion. But he doesn't explain that for us. Well, I think it's very confusing to us because we know that God hates sin. So we assume that his actual will for us every day is to sin less and less, and that that perhaps is what sanctification is all about. And yet we can find ourselves, having been Christians for many years, still struggling with sin, maybe seeing more than we ever saw before. That's very confusing. So to think that God could have taken sin away but didn't, he left it for a really good reason, can actually help us to accept our weak and sinful state in a way that actually helps us to be stronger in a convoluted kind of pathway. Um, You ask the question, you say, what if growing in grace is more about humility, dependence, and exalting Christ than it is about defeating sin? Um, Now, you're not implying that we shouldn't strive to mortify sin, What are you saying there? 
Yeah, not at all. In fact, I have found one reason I gravitated toward Newton was I found him so very balanced on this topic in a day where there are lots of very unbalanced opinions on the matter of sanctification. And I think Newton tells us we must strive to fight sin. We're called to do that. That is really clear in Scripture. But often when we do that, we forget that we do it within the context of being very weak vessels, jars of clay. So as, as though God is saying, try really, really hard, but expect that you're also you know, going to fail a lot. And it's that second part of the equation that we don't like very well. It doesn't <laughs> appeal to our human pride. And then we're generally confused about it as well. And so I think Newton does a wonderful job of calling us to strive for obedience, but then comforting us when we fail very, very often. And in that comfort, we find the courage of the gospel to get up and try again over and over. If I could uh, ask a very practical question at this point, uh, Bob, you know, one of the big pastoral issues of the time, and one that actually we, we've mentioned a number of times on this program, and I'm sure that being a pastor's wife, you're, you're very aware of this. One of the big pastoral issues, of course, is internet pornography, uh, particularly young men, among young men, but increasingly, I think, also uh, among young women as well, if the statistics are to be believed. Uh, how would you counsel somebody struggling with that, bearing in mind what you're trying to say in, in your book on sanctification? Uh, to what extent should somebody struggling with internet pornography uh, expect to, to see some kind of victory, some sort of slow but steady growth in, 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 in victory over the problem? I'm raising this in, you know, all of us involved in pastoral ministry are going to be faced with some pretty uh, practical questions along these fronts. You know, my husband is struggling with this. My fiance is struggling with this. At what point do I do I think you know he's not actually struggling with it as he should be? He's using God's grace as as cover for indulging his sin. How would you respond to if indeed you you can in in, in relatively brief compass to that kind of pastoral question or problem? I think that's a great question, and I counsel many young men and women, particularly college students, struggling with this. And sometimes I think it's a blessing when they come to me with this struggle, because these are often young people who are sinning in a million ways, like they're very prideful and they're very arrogant and they're very many things, that they're not worried about those sins. But boy, when it's pornography, then it's on the radar. And so when they come to me with that problem, it's an opportunity really to talk about their hearts before the Lord on every sin. You know, it's not that sexual sin is worse than other sins. But in our culture, I think the church has maybe been a little bit guilty of teaching that sexual sin is the worst of all sins. And so kids get very upset if this is what they are addicted to. And I believe the pathway to real change and not just outward behavior change that we can like put a Band-Aid on and last for a day or two, pathway to real change is to help them understand, first of all, uh, who they are as sinners before the Lord and to begin to understand the kind of forgiveness that they have in Christ and to understand um, that Christ has paid for their sin past, present, and future. And as they begin to kind of soak in the reality of the comprehensive, sweeping forgiveness that we have, and they begin to admire Christ, I think the goal is to begin with gratitude, a gratitude that begins to bubble up uh, through the pathway of, though I'm still stuck in this sin, God does not He's not angry with me because of this. And the reason I think this is important because is because you have to look at why are kids turning toward pornography? Um, 
why are we turning toward any addiction? It's because we have a bad feeling and we don't want to feel bad. And pornography and masturbation is an easy, quick fix to feeling good. They're doing it for a reason. And so um, we want to speak to that heart and find out why you're feeling that way and take that to the gospel and start to really understand what God has done for us as really weak sinners. And I think when gratitude starts to bubble up, then it's time when the heart is ready to say, look, I think it's time to take the computer away. I mean, when the heart that gets ready with gratitude asks for help. And um, I think we cut off, like, most of these kids are very anxious over the fact that they're looking at pornography. If we can calm that down and say, you are a sinner. God expects you to be a sinner. Not to make lightly of sin. Sin is terrible. It's bad, and it's bad for them. But if they can calm down about the fact that they are weak and sinful, it actually uh, helps them to not want to do it quite so much. Does that make sense? Yeah. To, to what extent would you also counsel them to, to put in place what I call prophylactic measures, if you like, uh, internet blocking software? Uh, on the one hand, I very much appreciate the positive emphasis upon the love of God and, uh, and the gospel there. But there's also in the New Testament, of course, that the wrath of God, God is a consuming fire. And I wonder to what extent we also need to be to be emphasizing that and also just the kind of general practicalities of make yourself accountable, get yourself into a context where there's a certain amount of policing of your behavior going on by, by a third party. Would you see that as legalism or would you see that as part of a, uh, one might say, a common sense approach to the problem? Well, I think that those things can be very helpful, Carl, when the heart is ready for them. But when it's not, you can get past those, every measure that can be put in place. So in some ways, they're not helpful. And, you know, I know this. I've asked my husband. Now, I have a serious struggle with food, and I talk about this in the book. I will ask my husband to hide Cadbury biscuits for me because I love them. <laughs> and when I determined, and you're laughing, but, you know, when I determined, I will pull the room apart, and I did recently. And I took out that packet of chocolate digestive biscuits. I ate the whole thing. Have you thought about not buying them in the first place, Barbara? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, my heart's not ready for that. You <laughs> brought them home from England. But anyway, do you see what I mean? It's like when my heart is determined to rebel, none of those things are going to stop me. And, you know, I, through my counseling experience, I've, I've noticed we'll put measures in place. But if the heart isn't ready so that it's motivated by something to want to change – then none of those measures will help. And then when it is motivated to want to change, almost every measure will help. Hmm. And I do, I do understand God's wrath to sin, but I believe theologically there is no wrath left for us, that we, if we are in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us, and we have the perfect record of Jesus Christ. So that is not where I would go first with the counselee. I would comfort and quiet the conscience by saying, yes, you're a very big sinner, but you have a really big Savior who has not only paid for all of your sin, past, present, and future, he's also given you his perfect goodness. So you have the record of a perfect sexual non-sinner. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. See, that's a breathtaking thought. If people can connect with that, those are the kinds of thoughts that I believe create a gratitude that motivates a change toward obedience. Mm-hmm. So perhaps uh, without me putting words in your mouth, you you would maybe describe the difference between a, um, a, 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 a believer who is growing in the grace of, of, of obedience and, and holiness versus perhaps someone who is uh, uh, maybe angrily uh, grumbling under, under the yoke of obedience and, and perhaps conforming. You'd see a, the, the, 
primary difference there is one of, of gratitude, one seeing obedience as gratitude for grace given, and the other one seeing obedience as a, as a, as a yoke to bear uh, that will somehow put me in good stead with God. Yes, those are very, very different postures to approach yeah. God with, aren't they? Yeah, 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 very, very much so, very much so. And I know, you know, I think about my, my children um, in, in, you know, I don't think any parent, I think every parent would want their child to obey them out of love and out of gratitude. Of course, we know they're not always going to, but there's, there's something that leaves me as a dad a little empty <laughs> um, when my child obeys in a very angry uh, sort of way. Uh, on the one hand, I'm glad I guess they conformed if there was something I needed them to do. And yet at the same time, I'm left um, sad uh, by the distance of their heart. Right. Yeah. I think there's always the flip side of obedience as well, that if we get an obedience that, that they are then proud of and they feel superior to other people, you can actually sin a lot in the context of your sure. best works. Yeah. And so obedience is not a very straightforward thing in terms of how our hearts are motivated and how they respond. Yeah, you explain in your book how some of your worst sins have been committed in the context of outward obedience. Um, what's the danger there if, if we think our obedience is just merely a matter of, of willpower? Well, I think that we become kind of puffed up with pride and we are very um, impatient and not very compassionate with weak people. We think, well, hey, and I've heard this line out of the, particularly out of the mouths of women because I minister to women. If I could get my act together, I don't know why she can't. Mm -hmm. And I hear that kind of thing like over weight loss, over cigarette smoking, and people who are living in that world are forgetting that actually that victory came to them from God. It wasn't theirs actually at all. Yeah, that was a huge implication for me that I took away after reading your book is um, how I pray for other people as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really started thinking, do I write certain Christians off when they don't perform the way that I, that I think that they should? Um, right. Or am I just merely praying for them to get their act together? Or am I really praying for God to work on their heart in this whole process of sanctification? I love it that you said that because I think reading Newton has just led me to pray so much more than I ever did before. And that's been a very precious thing because if you believe that God um, is in charge of our sanctification and only he can bring about change, then we don't nag people so much. We go to the, actually to our creator to talk about that. Mm. Hey, Barbara, I wonder, um, uh, we have a lot of folks who listen to Mortification of Spin who value books and value reading. Um, what would be a, a couple of titles either, f either by John Newton or about John Newton uh, that you would recommend uh, people get that would be a blessing to them? Well, John Newton has written six, there are six volumes of his collected works mm -hmm. published by Banner of Truth, I believe. So that would be all of his sermons and his letters and his hymns. Um, then there are the Select Letters, which is a smaller volume that has the ones that I've been primarily interested in, um, Select letter, Wonderful Letters of John Newton. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, do you mean other books that I would recommend in general as well? Well, um, I was thinking there on uh, John Newton, but uh, what, what else would pop up in, in your mind in regard to the topic? Um, well, I think that uh, there are two kinds of people that I encounter talking about this. I, I get in my counseling work the crushed and the broken people who are so disappointed in themselves and who are at a point where they really want to change. And then there are the people who don't think they need to change. They think they're doing really well. And if you're in that situation, if you're kind of like wondering what all this talk about brokenness is about and these poor people who are such a mess, 
Um, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices is a yeah. wonderful Puritan classic mm-hmm. that um, really shines the light on inward sin yeah. and um, takes the discussion from outward behavior into the heart. And once it gets into the heart, we're all going to have to <laughs> confess right. that we are very unruly in our hearts. And so that's a that's a really good one. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love a lot of the Puritan mm-hmm. writings. So I... And you know, you mentioned you know you mentioning that book, and then and then your your brief words about it is is a reminder to me also that th- there are times where where I realize that um, uh, dealing with some of the outward expressions of my sin is much easier than dealing with uh, the things that go on in my heart. And so I, I think some of the things that you're talking about and that we're conversing about here. Um, should not be understood as somehow a a lessening of of an understanding of the gravity of sin. If anything, the the more we 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 look at what sin has done and how it exists and grows in our hearts, uh, that's that just gets harder in some ways. Yeah, it really does. It takes us to our complete inability because yeah. we cannot change our own unruly hearts, and we're left before God pleading for help and very dependent upon Him. Slight change of subject, uh, Barbara. Uh, you and Ian have uh, been friends for, for some years, and uh, I know you both as people who are passionate about the church, and I think wherever Ian goes, he plants a church. Uh, um, what are your? What is the most delightful thing to you about being a pastor's wife and being involved in, in, in a church planting situation? I so love watching people grow in their understanding of doctrine and of grace and watching it change their lives. And I get the hugest kick out of that. And that's something that I wouldn't really be able to do as just a counselor, but as a counselor in a church, tracking people over many years and being able to see the dramatic impact that the good news of our, you know, justification has on people. Um, I just get a huge kick out of that. So I've taught many Newton groups and I've watched lives change and I've watched marriages and relationships change. And I've developed friendships with people who I never thought when I first met them, we could be friends, but what we can now. And it's just a, it's just a, the most enormous privilege that I could ever imagine having. And what would be some of the frustrations that you feel if there are indeed there are any? Well, there are many Carl. And I have to say the biggest frustration is my own heart because I can have, I mean, it's, it's puzzling. I write the liturgy for our church every Sunday. So I put the service together and I actually write the prayer that we're all going to say out loud together. And that is a huge privilege. And I can feel so resentful of that. Mm. And it's just amazing to me as I go to the Lord and I say, I just can't believe you even would tolerate me writing this service Mm. when I can feel so bitter that I have to do it today Mm. and so resentful. And I bump up against my unruly, wicked heart all the time. That's why I'm somebody that needs the comfort that John Noon's teaching brings. But, and then in loving people in the church, too, because, you know, people will say what they think about my husband, about the church. And my heart doesn't always just respond with, oh, I'm so glad you told me this. <laughs> I'm like, feel enraged. You know, I have anger problems. So I bump up against my heart. And I've noticed that the times when Ian is not pastoring have been much easier. Hmm because they're not quite so um, challenging for me personally. But then I also feel that extra challenge is a wonderful privilege to need God more. It's driven me, I think, more to the feet of the foot of the cross and to depending on him. Interesting. And how would you rate Ian as a preacher? 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> we're testing your sanctification. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, I don't know what your what your wife is like, but I'm the kind of wife that I'm pretty brutal. <laughs> and Ian Ian actually asks me to read his sermon every week and to make comments before he preaches oh, it. Oh wow! Wow! He wow, has he been is... asking. We've been doing that for years, and he actually really listens and incorporates much of what I have to say. Um, so I think that Ian's a great preacher. I think that there are preachers who are even better than him. And he knows that I think that. <laughs> He's definitely like second or third on the list. That's a great answer. One of the one of the things I'm convinced about in, in the ministry is the ministers whose wives believe the minister's own propaganda. <laughs> uh, they they're a problem. Um and, and and Katrina, it sounds as if you're more brutal than than Katrina, I have to say, but uh first thing I do when I get into the car after after service on a Sunday, not always for the for the best motivation because I want to say I did well I guess but first thing I'll say to her is okay how was the sermon yeah. and then she'll say you know not enough eye contact or not enough application mm-hmm. um, and I find it very very helpful to have a wife who's who's willing to to honestly debrief me after each mm-hmm. Sunday I wouldn't dare show her my sermons in advance though, <laughs> yeah see that, that she would cut out me. the jokes and the applications yeah. so I'm guessing oh, Ian Ian is clearly far Far much along than in his sanctification than either Carl or I are, because I I can't imagine uh, doing that. Although I, I and I would just second what Carl says. Um, I, I think I think a pastor needs from his wife someone who's supportive, but not a fan. Um, yeah. Not not someone who's there just to tell him what he what he wants to hear. And um, uh, and so Carl and I are fortunate enough both to be married to women who. Um, lo- well, my wife loves me. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> Katrina loves Carl, but, uh, um, who, who, uh, who, who don't believe, uh, everything that, uh, that might be in, in some of our fan mail. Um, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. But, uh, I do, uh, want to, uh, commend, uh, our listeners to, if they get a chance to get a hold of a copy of Extravagant uh, Grace. God's Glory Displayed in Our Weakness, the new book by Barbara Duguid. And uh, if you would like to possibly win a free copy of Extravagant Grace by Barbara Duguid, you can go to mortificationofspin.org and uh, enter to win um, one of uh, a copy of one of her books. And so we'd encourage you to do that. And Barbara, let me just say on behalf of Carl and Amy, we are so glad uh, you took time to join us. Thank you for taking time to uh, write your book and thank you for uh, being a pastor's wife um, as well. We've uh, very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for the honor of being able to come on your show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we're, uh, we're thankful for the time you've taken to uh, listen to Mortification of Spin. On behalf of uh, Carl and Amy, we trust uh, that the Lord will bless you richly. And until next time, we look forward to another edition of Mortification of Spin, a uh, casual conversation about things that count. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And we'd like to give you a free resource. Visit our website, mortificationofspin.org to find a link to the download. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, every last word with Philip Ryken, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800-488-1888.
We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again and don't forget your free download.